oftentimes because of the way that we've grown up with drama and gossip and high school clickiness, that can really affect you later on in life where you hold yourself back because you're afraid of being judged. I have this ability to walk into any room and not feel this fear. It was one of those pivotal moments as a young woman in business to realize that I do have a voice. Not everybody is going to think of me the way that I think of me, so I need to just be confident in who I am. Having the experiences in Vector have given me this bulletproof vest in a way, or I call it like a cloak of confidence, so that whenever I go into a room or I go into a new experience, I know that I'm gonna be great. I think at this point in my life, it's come so naturally to be able to have this fearless approach to new environments and new experiences and to put my hat in the ring. That's the voice of Shelby Wildgust Brandt, a powerful advocate for fearlessness for women and men, both in and out of Vector Marketing. Shelby's entire life has been an entrepreneurial journey of learning about herself, others, business, and life. She's full of engaging stories and valuable lessons, which I know you will enjoy. I'm proud to introduce her to you all today. This is Shelby Wildgust Brandt. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. I am with Shelby Wildgust Brandt today. Excited for this conversation. Shelby's time with Cutco Vector goes back to 2012. She started with the great John Wasserman. And she sold $135,000 personally during college, was a two-time branch manager as well, graduated from the University of Delaware. And then she actually explored other options outside of Cutco Vector for a little while before being recruited back into the business by John Kane to work in his office in a very special role, which has grown into a position that is called our Program Development Manager. This role enables Shelby to utilize her talents to help impact the company in a number of positive ways, which we will talk about today. Shelby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. I'm very excited to be here. Excellent. Well, why don't you take us back and tell us how your entrepreneurial journey began in life? What a question, because for me, my entrepreneurial journey started when I was four years old. 
And that was my very first lemonade stand. So I'm really fortunate that I grew up in a household where my father was an entrepreneur. And so ever since I can remember, he always said to me, Shelby, you can do, be, and have anything you want in life if you just work hard enough to get it. And that was a concept that stuck with me ever since I can remember. And so at four years old, I remember bringing my little play table out. I dragged it down our walkway to our sh- the start of our street. I got my little play cash register out and I sold lemonade. And I remember, I think it was probably 25 cents a cup and I probably made $7 that day. But to a four-year-old, I mean, $7 is like $700. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was pumped. In that moment, I remember, and so, so, so long ago, but I remember just feeling excited. And I remember feeling this excitement for my dad too, which I think was a big catalyst that gave me permission to know that I needed to keep going and keep trying new things. And so after we moved from that neighborhood, I moved into a much bigger cul-de-sac and that gave even more opportunity for lemonade stands. And so When I was 11 years old, I held a series of lemonade stands throughout the course of the summer to actually raise money for a regional charity called Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. Mm -hmm. It's grown national. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so I was always the girl who wanted to have the lemonade stands and put myself out there. I made these three-paneled, double-sided brochures when I was 12 years old, advertising my dog walking plant watering, and just overall pet sitting business. And I would walk around my neighborhood and I would find people who were walking their dogs or they would be out watering their plants. And I would march right up to them and hand off my three-paneled pamphlet. And it had my dad's cell phone number on it because I didn't have a cell phone at that time. And my dad always would tell me how many impressed phone calls he would get. (laughs) these people who are like, your daughter made this? Like, this is really incredible. So, you know, those are some really fond memories from my childhood. I have one specific memory I often share. I think you'll like this, Dan. So I went to a Catholic school growing up and they always had these different fundraisers. And oftentimes kids would come home with this little packet of what they were fundraising for this month or this week. And oftentimes I think In most cases, the kids just got a check from their parents, brought them in, and that was kind of how the donations came in. But for me, I always went the next step. And I was like, I'm going to go around the neighborhood and fundraise. And one year, I forget how old I was, but I used to have a little bit of a speech impediment. And one year, we were raising money for cystic fibrosis. That was kind of the cause of choice. And I couldn't pronounce cystic fibrosis. So anyways, I would go around my neighborhood. My dad would come with me, but he would stand, you know, five feet behind me because I wanted my independence. And I would go and I would knock on people's doors and I would say, I'm raising money for 65 roses. (laughs) My dad would be behind me, five feet away, whispering, she means cystic fibrosis. (laughs) Now, I don't know if I raised all that money because people really, really cared about the cause or they thought the fact that this little girl was raising money for 65 roses. (laughs) People open up their wallets. But, you know, I have so many stories of that from my early childhood that I think allowed me to, to be a little fearless 
And again, always very independent and always trying to find ways to put myself out there. When I was in high school, my dad, once again, he actually bought me a business. And what he did, we had a neighbor who was a transcontinental pilot. And his route was from Philadelphia to Beijing. And while he was in Beijing, he met a woman who made all this jewelry. And she was looking for a way to sell it to the States or at least just sell inventory. And this pilot neighbor of ours bought, I don't know how much inventory, but you know maybe like three or four big plastic bins worth of jewelry to bring home to his wife because he thought his wife might want a fun side hustle selling jewelry. But when he came home, his wife was like, you're out of your mind. I don't want anything to do with this stuff. We've got two middle school boys that I'm dealing with. (laughs) Take this away, you know, return it. And so our neighbor came over to me and my dad and was like, would Shelby want to do this? And my dad was like, without even consulting with me, he was like, yes, she would love to do it. And he was my first quote unquote investor. And he bought me this business. And my mom, my dad and I sat down and we talked through it and we kind of made a game plan. And my mom came up with the name of Treasures for Tuition. So in my junior and senior year of high school, during the weekends, I would go to craft festivals and art shows and I would set up my booth and I would sell this jewelry. And the money that I would make would go towards my college tuition. So that was my entrepreneurial journey up until 18 years old, right before I found Cutco. That is amazing. I love the treasures for tuition business. That sounds so cool, Shelby. Um, And it's great that you learned about how to be fearless, as you said, how to be independent. I'm sure a lot of these things came into play once you got started with Cutco. So then you were 18. And uh, how did you connect with John Wasserman and selling Cutco? Yeah. So I had a friend of mine whose mom was annoyed that he wasn't working. You know, he was spending his weekends on the couch. And so she started to apply her positions for him. And one of the positions happened to be Cutco. So he went in for the interview. And at the time, they were asking for PRs during the interview. And the story goes that after the interview, he put down one name and he said to the guy who was running the interview, it was not John. But he said to him, you have to call this girl. Like she would be awesome at this. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually both went through training together. He quit on day three, which was great because I got to sell to his parents. (laughs) But I remember getting the phone call and coming in for the interview. And I had my resume and I was so excited. And that was in April of my senior year. So I was just ecstatic over the moon about what the possibilities could be. It was totally in my wheelhouse. I wasn't the least bit nervous about it. But I do remember, Dan, at the time that I got the position, my parents were away. And so I didn't really tell them I was going in for this interview. And I also was at the time working as a waitress as well. So anyways, I got the position and I come back home and I sent an email to my parents. They were abroad. And at the time, cell phones didn't work abroad. And I said to my dad, guess what? I got this new job. And he responded back to me and said, great, what is it? And I said, I'm going to be selling knives. And I kid you not, within like 30 seconds, which is a really fast email response. He's like, don't do it. Like it's a scam. And thank goodness I was a rebel. 
even though I trusted my dad so much, I was also a very rebellious teenager. So if my dad told me, don't do it, I was like, well, let me actually do it. And <laughs> so for me, I, you know, I went right into it. Uh, my, my parents were not super supportive in the beginning and they, they really didn't give me many referrals. So I had to really kind of get gritty. I found my high school directory. I, I really worked on my list. Again, I was babysitting and plant watering and dog walking my entire childhood. So I had a lot of contacts that way. A lot of neighbors. I was totally the kid who corralled all the neighborhood kids to play games and stuff like that. So all of their parents knew me. And I started out that way. And I remember it wasn't until about three weeks in that my parents finally came around to the position. And that's a really interesting story that I'd love to share with you. Um, Sure. So again, my dad was not super supportive. It wasn't that he wasn't supportive of me. He just was skeptical. And he went to a college graduation party for an old childhood friend of mine. Her and I had lost touch, but my dad had stayed really good friends with her dad. So my dad was invited. And I think I probably was too, but I didn't go. Anyways, my dad's at this college graduation party. Or no, it was high school graduation party. Sorry. And the father of the daughter had a lot of ties to Villanova University. So one of the guests at the graduation party happened to be the dean of the business school at Villanova. My dad happened to sit next to him. They strike up a conversation and they get on the topic of me. And my dad thinks, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for me to bring up this new job my daughter has, get the opinion of someone who's really you know, well-respected. And in my dad's mind, he thought that the dean of the business school was going to agree with him in the sense of be skeptical, get her out of it. You know, this isn't for her, all that kind of stuff. So my dad basically says, you know, I want to ask your opinion on something. My daughter just got this new position with a company called Vector Marketing. They sell Cutco knives. And my dad is about to take another breath and start speaking again. And the dean of the business school stops him and goes, I'm going to stop you right there. If your daughter is going to take this position, you need to celebrate her and encourage her and congratulate her and keep her going no matter what. Because if I were to hire, if I were to have one position open and I were to interview a hundred people for it, and 99 of them had the exact same resume, college education, all of that, and one person had Cutco on their resume, I would hire them. And awesome. my dad keep every accolade, keep every award, keep every certificate that she gets from that company and make a portfolio for her so that when she decides to start looking for jobs post-grad, she has this, this portfolio to pull back on. And that was the moment where my dad was like, oh, okay, I guess I should support her in this. And everything changed at that, at that point. Wow. What a great story. I love hearing that for sure. Yeah. yeah um, it was really, really cool. Yeah. Was there a key experience uh, that stands out during your, your rep selling days? Definitely. There's a lot. But I think the biggest one that I can share is probably my first month in the position. So this is when my dad finally came around. He gave me a few referrals. And one of the referrals he gave me was an old business partner of his. And he had told me, you know, hey my friend needs knives. I told him about what you're doing and 
I think you should go sit down with him. He he's looking for some knives. And I was like, great, that's awesome. Totally gonna go sell him a bunch of knives. And uh, I, I arrived at his house and right from the start, things were kind of off. Like it was just a little bit strange. I walk into his house. His girlfriend is there and we sit down and we start talking. I start going through the whole presentation with him and he takes the blue book from me, kind of starts to commandeer the presentation. And I, at that time was not confident enough to be like, I'm going to take it back. And again, like he's a very strong personality and a little bit misogynistic in a way. And I asked him to go get his knife so we could cut the rope. And he said, I don't need to do that. Like, I, I get it. Like, I get what you're trying to do. Like, let me just see what knives you have. And I was like, okay, all right. And I was just kind of rolling with it. And I mean, his girlfriend was there. She was really sweet. But anyways, at the very end of the presentation, which felt like a train wreck to me, he settled on one of the sets. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, he's still going to buy. But then something just totally flipped in him. He said, you know what? I don't need this. In fact, you're done here. I'll walk you out. And I was like, what? Hmm. And I didn't have, again, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the wherewithal. I didn't have kind of the skills built up quite yet to know how to handle that in that situation. But he walked me to his door and I walked out and remember the door shutting and I broke down in tears. Mm -hmm. I just really felt this defeat that I didn't expect ever to feel. And I remember I called one of my managers, because again, I started in April. So I had a couple of different people I was kind of working with because they hadn't quite had the pilot manager come in yet. So I called one of my managers for PDI and I was obviously upset. He answered and he could tell that I was really upset. And he's like, what's going on? And I just kind of broke down and shared the whole situation with him. And he goes, great. That's never going to happen ever again. And it was something about the way he said that, Dan, that really gave me the confidence in understanding that one, that was a really rare occurrence. You know, most people are not going to treat you that, that way. But two, I'm going to learn the skills necessary that if someone were to ever treat me that way again, I know how to speak up for myself and I know how to take back control of a situation like that. And three, I get to teach people how to treat me. And you know, I'm sure you probably weren't expecting that story, but it was one of those pivotal moments as a young woman in business to realize that I do have a voice. Not everybody is going to think of me the way that I think of me. So I need to just be confident in who I am. And I cannot let the opinions of others or the actions of others take that away from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that experience, Dan, because... I think it's what made me really strong in that summer because one, I knew that was never going to happen again. But two, I knew like, if it does, I can handle myself. And I'm so grateful that I didn't let that take me out of the game because it taught me to so much. That's a great story, Shelby. So often on this podcast, I'm just reminded of things I've learned from studying Jim Rohn listening to his audios, reading his books, et cetera. And one of the things he talks about is good and evil. And it's like, there would be no good without evil. And that there are people of all sorts out there. I don't know, maybe evil might not be the right word to describe this guy, but there are all sorts of people that are out there. And we have a tendency to say, well, geez, people shouldn't be that way. And Jim Rohn says, well, they are. 
And you just have to deal with reality, right? And that there is reality out there that you are going to have people that don't treat you the way that you want to be treated, that are disrespectful, that are very, very self-serving or self-interested and don't think about other people in the ways that uh, I think you and I do. And learning how to have poise and be calm in those situations and then take a breath and then assert yourself, that's an important skill to be able to have. It comes into play a lot of times in a lot of things. So Absolutely. Especially as a young woman, you know, I think that was a defining moment for me and just my my overarching appreciation and desire to learn about how to uplift women, especially. Um, and again, like it's talking about rejection too, which we're in sales. So of course you're going to deal with rejection. Um, and I think in a way it made me kind of not feel rejection moving forward as much as I probably would have if I hadn't had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so you also ran two branches, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. What can you tell us about those summers? Oh my God. Those summers were amazing. Amazing in so many different ways from one another. So my first branch summer, I lived in Long Island, New York. And what I loved about this experience was the fact that I had the chance to kind of move out, move away, move to an area that I had never been before and kind of experience an entirely new culture. I'm sure anyone that's listening who are familiar with Long Island understand that there's a very different culture out there than where I grew up in Pennsylvania. So it was really great to experience just diversity in people and thought. So anyways, um, that experience was really cool. I think, you know, from a standpoint of sales, we did about $85,000. It wasn't anything remarkable, but again, it was a great experience to be on my own and to really have this responsibility of being a business owner and being a boss in a lot of ways. And I remember I, I mentioned this often now in my position. I'm like, I can't believe that Vector Marketing gives so much responsibility to a bunch of 19, 20, 21-year-olds. I mean, my parents at that time barely gave me that responsibility yet. Here is this multi-million dollar company kind of saying, hey, go out and, and see what you can do and fly the coop and grow your wings. And here's 8500 bucks to go do it or whatever we give them. <laughs> right, now, <you> know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it was really fun, again, living on my own and building a team and having just such diverse teammates on there. And again, at 19 years old, where I grew up, I wasn't exposed to much diversity. I wish I had been more. And so having this experience in a three-month time period taught me so much about myself, about cultures, about religions. We had a very uh, large Hasidic Jewish population that I was recruiting from. And again, I grew up in a Catholic grade school. So I didn't have that experience just naturally in my life. And it really taught me to appreciate other people. So that first summer, you know, it wasn't about the sales. It wasn't about the income earned, although I did, you know, do, do moderately well. It was just about the growth I experienced as a young woman at 19 years old and how I really transformed in that summer and coming back to college. And again, just the perspective shifts that I had made that summer was, were really special. My second summer, I actually ran an office in Delaware and I went to the University of Delaware. So that was great because I was running an office pretty much on campus. So I was able to recruit and get started even when I wasn't finished school yet. That definitely gave me kind of a leg up, I think. I ended up finishing that summer at about $156,000 of sales. So 
almost double what I had done previously, finished number one in the Northeast region, finished 13th in the nation. And that summer really was about kind of proving myself. And I think that's usually the story for a lot of senior branches. You know, first year branch, you don't know what you don't know. Second year branch is like, all right, I know what I need to focus on. I know what I want to do to create a massive, you know, summer and create experience for all involved. What I think was the coolest part about that summer was the fact that I had people who I really elevated. I had a 10K fast starter who ended up going on to sell about $35,000 that summer. I had uh, Ethan Andrus, who I think you probably have had his mom on the podcast before, Sarah Baker Andrus. If you haven't, great person to have on. But Sarah Baker Andrus held a role in kind of the corporate side of things with Vector. So it was really fun to have him in my office and work with him and then have Sarah there to support me and help me where I could or where I needed it, I should say. And Ethan went on to run a branch. So what was cool about that summer was it, you know, it wasn't just about my own personal experience. It was about creating these experiences for other people. And I really learned the value of putting other people first. We mentioned Jim Rohn. I think he has that quote, if you help enough people get what they want, eventually you get what you want. And that was absolutely the story of that second branch summer for me. Yeah. Awesome. Jim stole that one from Zig Ziglar, by the way. There you um, go. <laughs> Jim Rome, one of the two. So cool. So cool. I love hearing people's branch manager experiences because that's obviously something that was near and dear to my heart as well. Like you, I branched twice. Like you, the first one was a moderate success. It started out as a flop, but I pulled it together. And then the second one was awesome. And just uh, really cool to hear that. So then you graduated, right? From University of Delaware. Mm-hmm. And you left the company. What went into your choice of a first job after college? A lot of things. A lot of things went into that choice. And this is another interesting story that kind of comes back to all that I learned in Vector. So my senior year of college, I started to apply for positions the same way any senior is going to do. And obviously, you know, having been with Vector for three years prior and doing some other things as well, I had a pretty robust resume. And so I would go to the job fairs and talk to a lot of different recruiters. I knew that I probably wanted to be in sales just from my past experience, but I also knew that I wanted a culture that somewhat mimicked Vector. In my mind, I wanted Vector for big kids, put that in air quotes because I wasn't sure what that really actually meant, but I wanted something similar to Vector. So anyways, I applied to five different places. I applied to a medical device sales company, a recruiting company, uh, a software as a service company, and a couple others. I forget which ones. And what was cool was that I heard back from all five. Now, I remember specifically some experiences while I was in my senior year with my roommates who were also applying for positions, but they were applying for like five a day, sometimes five an hour. And here I was having only applied to five as at all. And I remember their shock when I said, yeah, I've only applied to five positions. They're like, what? What do you mean? Like, how could you only apply to five positions, Shelby? Are you out of your mind? And I'm like, well, these are the companies that I would want to work for. So no, I'm not out of my mind. I just know what I want. And anyways, I applied to these five positions, heard back from all five, went to that first round interview. And what I thought was really interesting here was the fact that when you're interviewing, you're not just being interviewed, but you're also to an extent interviewing the company. And I think it's important that as you're interviewing, you're asking yourself, 
could I see myself doing this work, working for this company and being part of this culture? And so as I was going through my interview process, I actually decided that three out of those five companies, I wouldn't want to work for. And so I narrowed my choices down to two. I had heard back from all five and all five wanted to progress me further, but I told three of the five, Hey, I'm not interested anymore. Thank you for reaching out, but you know, it's not going to be for me. And my roommates thought I was literally out of my mind. They're like, what are you doing, Shelby? You're really just kind of cutting your, your options here. And I just reminded them, like, I think I know what I want. So anyways, I get down to these two different companies, go through that second round interview. And I ended up getting an offer from both of those companies. Now, here was a really cool thing. I was able to use each offer to negotiate a higher salary for myself and put myself in better positioning uh, when I were, was to actually get that offer. And I reflect back on that experience as being kind of the, a first-time, quote-unquote, entry-level employee, realizing that the interview process for me was really about being in a place of choice versus praying that I was chosen. And I think a lot of college students now, when they don't have a solid resume, unfortunately, are in a position where their options are even more limited. And they're oftentimes just praying that they're chosen among you know the 500 other applicants that are vying for that same position. But what I think is so special about the vector experience on a resume is the fact that it does put you in a place to choose. And you're able to go through the job experience with a lot more abundance versus scarcity. So then I ended up starting the position. And uh, I only lasted 13 months because after about 13 months, I realized this actually isn't vector for big kids and I'm not really happy here. Which one did you pick? I picked an IT recruiting firm. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And what was your experience? Like why only 13 months? So it was really great at the beginning. It really did feel like to an extent it was what I was looking for. However, there were some cultural things that I wasn't a fan of. There was lack of diversity. So we talked a little bit earlier about how much I value that first branch experience because of the exposure to diversity. And and the one thing that I've always appreciated about Vector is the fact that we give everyone a chance to an extent. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your interests are, what your background is. Like, If you're willing to work hard, we're going to work with you. At this company, they had a very... They had a very specific look that they were going for when it came to their new hires. And I recognized that I was part of that look. But when I was in it and I looked around me and everyone looked the same, acted the same, I realized I didn't want to be part of that because I wanted to be in a space where I learned from other people of other backgrounds. I was around people with different thoughts and different interests. And so that was kind of the first red flag for me that popped up. And then the second thing was, I just really wasn't a fan of the actual work itself. Just the world of IT recruiting was not the type of sales I really wanted to be in. So I think those two combined were what led me to decide to start looking elsewhere. And then Dan, I will have to be honest and say that there was some personal mental health struggles that I was going through on my own. And I think 
this is something that we don't always talk about, but there's a lot of pressure on that 22 and 23-year-old age range. And I oftentimes call it the awkward years. You know, I think when we think about the awkward years, we usually get images of like seventh and eighth grade braces, acne, hormones, all the uncomfortable stuff that happens at that age. But I really think the awkward years are those first couple of years post-grad because all of a sudden, the choices you make really matter. And so I found myself asking myself, like, is this it? Like, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this what I meant to be doing? Am I happy? Am I happy in this town that I've moved to? Am I happy with the friends that I'm trying to make? Am I happy with the person I'm becoming? And those are big, scary questions. And for me, I went through a bit of what I would call environmentally induced anxiety and mild depression, where I looked around me and I didn't feel safe in my environment. I didn't feel accepted in my environment. I felt like to an extent, I was compromising a lot of my values in order to fit in. And I'm thankful that I was able to look in the mirror and ask myself, like, is this really what I want to be doing? And I had the strength to say no. And I had multiple experiences with my parents where, you know, I would call them on the way to work crying because I just couldn't fathom getting to work and having to go through my day. And there were moments when I'd be driving and I would be crying so hard that I could barely see the road in front of me. And in those moments, I would have rather gotten into a car accident than gotten to the office because I was that unhappy. And my parents, God bless them, kept saying, well, if you want to quit, you can quit, but please have another job lined up because they they wanted to see me continue to succeed and, and have money and, and make sure that I was going to be okay myself. And so that was actually what led me to reach out to Vector because I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I was kind of... And I think when you're dealing with mental health, like it's really hard to see the big picture. You just can only maybe, if you're lucky, see the next step. And for me, what felt comfortable was Vector. What felt like could be the solution to get me out of this space that I was in was Vector. It felt like coming home to an extent. So that was what led me to reach back out and see what was possible in Vector. Yeah. And how did that go? <laughs> it went great. Actually, I didn't I didn't reach out to John Payne at first. I reached out to Earl Kelly because he was my former region manager. So I remember I had left a meeting with a client and the meeting did not go well. And I was just, once again, not happy with where I was. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Earl Kelly and just let him know I'm, I'm in the job market. So I called him and I don't think he even had my number saved. Actually, it's funny. He told me later on that he was waiting for his car to be repaired. And he thought that I was the car repair shop calling him to let him know the car was done. But I was like, hey, Earl, it's Shelby Wildgast. How are you? I was like, I, I totally know, like I'm in the job market. I'm not looking to come back in the field quite yet, but I would love to entertain a position in the region office if there's anything available. And that was kind of the route that I thought I would take going into like maybe sales promotion, something along those sides. And he said to me, you know, there's nothing available right now, Shelby, but I will pass your name along. And I thought that was his polite way of saying, sorry, but I can't help you. But he actually did pass the name along to John Kane. 
I get a call from John about a week later and he's like, Shelby, it's John Kane. I hear you're in the job market. And I'm like, yeah, yes, I am. Like, please let's talk. And, uh, we ended up having a series of conversations with, which led to a formal interview process. And I remember during the interview, John said to me, so Shelby, if you were to be hired here, what would you want to do? Which, I mean, if you think about it from an interview standpoint, that question is so fascinating because not many people would even ask that question in an interview, right? It's usually, hey, if you're hired, this is what your roles and responsibilities would be. But that question was just another indication that I was coming back to the right place. And I responded back to John. I said, well, I'd like to work on two different things. The first one being the branch manager program. I'm so passionate about what it did for me in my life. And I'd like to offer support where I can with our current branch class. And I also really believe that there is opportunities for more women in leadership. And I would like to work on programs that help women excel in leadership and vector. And I don't know, a couple of days later, I got a phone call that I got the job, moved down to Philadelphia, which is my home city. So I was very happy to be there. And that was in the fall of 2017. And I'm not exaggerating to say my life completely changed in that moment. Like my life completely changed coming back to Philadelphia and coming back to Vector. Yeah. I remember the first SLC that you came to and John had just introduced that you were just coming back into the business. And that would have been the first time I had, I met you right then and there that fall of 2017. And so it has evolved and gone well over the last four years. You were just promoted to program development manager. What are some of the things you're working on in your role? It's a really great question. So the, the promotion itself is very, very new. So for me right now, I work predominantly with the branch managers. That's kind of been my bread and butter up until this point. But what's great about this role is it's going to allow me to start expanding my capacity in terms of what other areas of the business I work on. And I don't have a long list of areas that I'm 100% knowing that I'm going to be focusing on. But what I do know is that I have an intense curiosity about the business. And so right now in this process of kind of ramping up my new role, I'm asking a lot of questions about certain areas of the business of, hey, how can I add value here? Or what could it look like if we created a program here? Or what might it be what might it look like if we were to support this faction of the business? And so I'm starting off with a lot of questions. I've got a lot of curiosities. I don't have a lot of answers quite yet, but I know that from my experience getting the branch program up and running, the branch impact program up and running, it started with a lot of questions. How can we support branches from all areas of the business. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to duplicating that same process with my new position and looking into the other areas of the business that I can add massive value in. Yeah. Well, you obviously, you have something to say to branch managers because you ran two branches. I just want to give you a vote of confidence, Shelby, to say that even though you weren't a district manager or a division manager, you have something to say to those groups as well, just because of your experiences and your wisdom. And also facilitating conversations with groups like that doesn't take someone to necessarily be teaching, but just come with the right things to discuss and be able to facilitate really good conversations, all stuff that I know you're learning how to do, and that you could excel at working with any group 
in a company. So I'm glad that you're not just pigeonholed into working with branch managers because uh, you have a lot more to offer than that, I think, overall in the long run. So just want to give you a little vote of confidence with that. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Yeah. What's like a signature concept that you like to share when you're working with branches or others in the business? Well, this shouldn't surprise you. My signature concept that I like to share is the decisions you make at 18 years old create the person you are at like 25, 30, 35 years old. And I think for people outside of Vector, that can be a really scary concept because they're like, oh crap, the decisions I made at 18 were not that great. But in Vector, the fact that we are giving these young people this incredible opportunity to learn skills that like, I mean, most 30-year-olds don't know. I have a lot of friends of mine, God bless them, they're incredible human beings. But I see the way that they go through their life. And I can tell that they haven't been through an experience like Vector. And so I oftentimes find myself having these kind of bigger picture conversations with a lot of branch managers and helping them realize that, you know, maybe in the moment you're feeling the pain of just the challenge that exists when it comes to running your own business. But when you pull yourself back out of it, and when you look at the person you became in the the process and the strength that you built for yourself and the lessons that you taught yourself, not, you know, let alone lessons that you learn from other mentors, you are in such a position of abundance and power and choice and I'm so grateful for the life that I live today at 27 years old. And I remember being young and in high school and, and even in college while I was in Vector, having these visions of what my life could look like. And when I think back at what I was thinking then, it's all come true. I have a beautiful family. I have an amazing marriage and an amazing husband. I own my own home, have an amazing dog. I have an amazing career. Like there's just so much to be grateful for. And it truly all stems back from Vector and the decisions I've made in this company and the opportunities that they have given me. And so that's really the concept that I find myself sharing with branches probably the most and it's been the most true in my life as well. Yeah. One of the things that people most gain in Vector is the growth, the personal growth, the, the ways that their mindset evolve and their skills evolve. And this happens whether somebody goes out and excels and makes a ton of money as a branch manager or a rep or somebody who's sort of a mid-flyer or even somebody that doesn't do that well, but they work the job. And so Mm -hmm. maybe they don't earn as much, but they learn a ton. And I always tell people that the growth we gain in Vector is in many ways, it's a lot like learning a language. It helps you to adapt and to thrive in a different environment. If I went to Italy or France tomorrow, I could functionally survive there and communicate because I speak reasonably well, both languages, certainly not fluent in either, but I've learned both and I can speak And so I could actually survive and do well in that environment. Well, as you learn about overcoming adversity or you learn about dealing with challenging people like you had that one experience or all the different things that we learn throughout the Vector experience, particularly as branch managers, it's 
providing us with the ability to evolve and thrive in new environments down the road. Very much like going to a foreign country and being able to speak the language, you go into a foreign environment and you're able to handle it because of what you've learned and gained. And that's what I think really comes of those those early experiences and those early decisions we make, as you said, that shape us for the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's it's just something that I think at this point in my life, I don't want to say I take for granted, but it's come so naturally to be able to have this fearless approach to new environments and new experiences and to put my hat in the ring. And again, I work with a lot of women in this business too. And oftentimes I get questions of like, how can I be a stronger woman or a stronger woman leader? And I I understand the basis of that question because society has sometimes told us that women are weaker than men, which I think is silly to begin with. But I just want to encourage the women out there to keep leaning into what Vector has to offer because it has built me into such a strong woman, let alone strong person. But I have this ability to walk into any room and not feel this fear. And I know that I've talked about this with other women before. Oftentimes, because of the way that we've grown up with drama and gossip and high school clickiness, that can really affect you later on in life where you hold yourself back because you're afraid of being judged or you're afraid of being talked about or whatever it might be. And I think that plagues women more than it does men. But having the experiences in Vector have given me this bulletproof vest in a way, or I call it like a cloak of confidence, so that whenever I go into a room or I go into a new experience, I know that I'm going to be great. And I know that I'm going to be, I'm going to be true to myself. I don't have to sacrifice who I am for the sake of what others might think about me. And that's something that I think rings true to a lot of women as they're going through this journey of growth. Excellent points. I love it. I know you're passionate about inspiring women leaders, not just here in Vector, but outside as well. Maybe you could speak to that here as we wind down. Absolutely. So it kind of aligns with what I was just sharing, but you know, I've had my own personal experiences growing up and feeling this intense fear of judgment and this intense fear of not being liked, which kind of falls under that same category of judgment. And I've wanted to create a space for a very long time where women can come and just be who they are, no matter who that is. And so outside of Vector, I've created multiple different opportunities for women to connect. I at one point had a uh, six-month coaching program for women in the workplace. It was called Women in the Workplace. And that was an opportunity for women kind of climbing that corporate ladder to come together and have a safe place to talk through the struggles that you would go through in navigating the corporate waters. Back in 2019, I launched a community in the Philadelphia area called the Naked Network, which was a networking event where women actually came without makeup on. It was an in-person experience for women to come and just be themselves, blemishes and, and it all. And it took off extremely well. And then within Vector... I've had the privilege of working closely with Angie McDougall and getting the Vector Executive Women's Mastermind off the ground, which again, it creates a safe place for women to come together and just learn from each other. And I think 
when you give these opportunities for women to learn from each other in a space of just judgment free, it allows people to see that like everybody has their own struggles. Everybody has their own insecurities. So if you're going to walk into a room, walk in with confidence because you know that everybody else is kind of going through their own thing. And in most cases, they're not so worried about you as you think they might be. And so it's helped me in developing a stronger confidence in myself just to learn about women in general and what we all go through. And then I think it's helped a lot of other women too in in building that confidence of just knowing like we're all just trying to do our best. And so let's work together to lift each other up and be supportive and create a space where all voices can be heard and and go from there. So that's what I've been able to create and, and work on and help with both in and outside of Vector. Awesome. I love hearing that. You mentioned Angie and Angie came to my mind a lot of times during this conversation. More than anyone I think I know, Angie is somebody who is incredibly strong and powerful while simultaneously being incredibly warm and friendly. And that combination is really rare to see in leaders, whether men or women. And she brings both of those at such a high level. And I see that in you as well. I see it as something that you're nurturing and developing in yourself. And I think that it's a great set of qualities to be able to bring as a leader. And it's great to see you sharing yourself and sharing your your experiences and your insights with others. Um, Shel- yeah, Shelby, as you look into the future, what are you most excited about? <laughs> well, for those of you that don't know, I'm currently 27 weeks pregnant. So very excited about that that big life change that is only a few weeks away. So personally speaking, my husband, Rob, and I are expecting a baby boy in October of 2021. So I'm very, 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 very excited about that. Professionally speaking, of course, it's my new role. You know, it's it's being able to dig into other areas of the business. And I love working with the branches. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I also know that I have a lot to add in other areas and there's just so much beauty in this business and I can't wait to dive in and see how I can help bring it to the next level and see what what comes from that. So those would be my two, like my personal and my professional big things that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of great things to offer to Vector and to the marketplace in general. Having a baby is going to be an incredible experience. I, I oftentimes <laughs> tell people when they become a parent, you know, welcome to the least exclusive but coolest club in the world. <laughs> and shout out to Rob. What is your favorite Brothers Brandt story, Shelby? Oh my God, Dan, there's so many of them. Uh, I think his Super Bowl story, where he and his brother sneak, they, they snuck down onto the floor of Super Bowl Media Day and viewed <laughs> Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. <laughs> yes, yes. Tended with to be a, reporters. With a, with a microphone that the cord just went into their the pocket. pocket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is great. For any of you that uh, don't know Rob, Rob and his brother have all these great stories from their sports journeys. And they have a podcast called The Brothers Brandt 
where they tell a lot of these stories and it's really, really entertaining and fun. So check that out as well. It is, yeah. It is never a dull moment being married to Rob Brandt. Let me tell you that. <laughs> never a dull moment. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, shout out to Rob and kudos to you, Shelby, for all that you're doing uh, both in and out of Vector. I love when you just talked about how you've got this great life and you're so young and just everything that you've decisions you've made and the, and the actions you've taken over uh, these last 10 years or so have put you in a great spot and the best is yet to come, I'm sure. Well, thank you so much, Jan, for having me. And I wouldn't be the person I am today without Vector and all of the incredible human beings that have touched my life. And I wish I could name them all, but I it would take us another 35 minutes for me to get through the list of people who have... <laughs> been a great influence in my life. But this truly is, as Al always says, uh, there's no place like this place. So this must be the place. So exactly having me here today, Dan, it was so much fun. Thanks for being on. That was Shelby Wildgust Brandt, everybody. Wow. What a great conversation. I love how Shelby developed the qualities of being fearless and independent as a young kid before she even got to Cutco Vector. Of course, most people who come to Cutco Vector do not necessarily have those traits when we get here, but they're developed over time as we work in Cutco and Vector. And I think about how those things are developed and they're developed through expanding our comfort zone and being willing to take risks and having lots of experiences and getting support and help and lots of different things. And it just makes me think about how can we help others to develop these traits more early in life? How can we as parents create an environment where our children can develop these traits early in life? How can we as leaders make sure we're encouraging the people around us to develop those traits by providing the right environment for them? I love how Shelby described how her Vector experience provided her with choice versus praying to be chosen, as many people are when they finish college. Uh, That really speaks to making the most of the experiences that you have during your college years, if that's where you are right now. Of course, the signature concept she talked about, the decisions that we make in age 18, 19, 20, create who we become later on down the road. And I just think about the decisions that any young person can be considering. What are most important would be, first off, how you spend your time. Are you spending your time in activities that have are supporting your vision of the future? Or are you spending time doing things that are a waste of time? Consider that a little bit. Are you constantly learning and growing? That is critical. And then also, are you taking risks, right? If it's not physically dangerous, are you doing things that are risking failure, risking defeat? but you're also putting yourself in position to have tremendous learning experiences by doing that. That was great. Of course, Shelby is passionate about helping to develop women leaders throughout Vector. And if you are a woman manager or rep listening to this podcast, we want you to know that if you're a part of Vector, you will be supported. We want you to be who you are. And we want to encourage you to raise your voice within your organization, because we want those voices to be heard. I know I can speak for a lot of my colleagues in executive leadership in the company when I say that. 
Shelby also very transparently described having some mental health challenges during the early part of her career. And I just want everyone listening to know that we all experience those mental challenges from time to time. Everybody does. I got news for you. I experience things like that from time to time in my own life. And I feel like I'm in like the 99th percentile of like mental fortitude. And it's just natural that at times we all wonder, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right things? Is my life going where I want it to go? We question things in our life, both personally and professionally. And it sometimes creates that doubt and wonder, you know, are we doing the right things? And I would just encourage you, if you're in that place, to utilize your support network, whoever it is in your life you have that you feel comfortable talking to, that you talk to them. And if you're in Vector, you can use your Vector support network. Sometimes people are afraid to feel like they're imposing on somebody. It's the opposite. When you bring someone in your life a challenge that you're experiencing and you're asking for their support and their input, they will most often feel complimented that you came to them and they'll be excited to help you and encourage you and support you. So build networks around you of support. And also at times when you're experiencing difficulty in life, one of the greatest things you can do to break yourself out of that is contribution. It's doing something for other people, particularly doing things for others that they aren't able to do for themselves, serving others, helping others. These are all things we can do that help us to feel better and more fulfilled in our lives. Thank you, Shelby, for bringing your best to this interview. Check out the Brothers Brandt podcast if you are a sports fan and want some fun stuff. I hope you really got a lot of great value out of this. I feel like Shelby brought some great authenticity and experiences to this conversation today. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. Thank you.